Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Hi, Big Fish listeners, and welcome to episode 42. So I was thinking recently about the fact that I typically interview talent acquisition leaders, and that's a lot of fun, especially getting some very different responses to the questions that I typically ask. However, I was thinking about how that seems to be evolving and how it will evolve over time. And then I was thinking about emerging leaders, people who are not yet talent acquisition leaders, but will be someday. And I'd love to hear how they would answer some of the questions I typically ask. So I grabbed a couple of them, Courtney Connor and Julia Adler, who I think you are going to love hearing from. They have a really unique perspective, both of them with four and five years of experience, respectively. You have a lot in store for you here, and I hope you enjoy some of the questions that I was able to ask them. Things like, finish this sentence, we could totally fix recruiting if only fill in the blank, (laughs) or What do you think TA leaders do all day? Stay tuned for more on that. But before we jump into that, I just always want to thank my sponsors, the Association of Talent Acquisition Professionals, or ATAPglobal.org, as well as RPOA, the Recruitment Process Outsourcing Association, rpoassociation.com. And uh, these two organizations have just been so good to me in terms of helping me with my distribution and making sure that the podcast gets out there. So um, thank you. Thank you to my sponsors, as well as Paradox. You'll hear from them a little bit more uh, at the middle of the podcast. So uh, without any further ado, here comes Courtney and Julia, and you're going to love it. Future Big Fish. Hi, Big Fish listeners. This is Erin Peterson, and you have joined us on episode 42, which is a very special episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. We're going to talk to emerging leaders today. As you know, I typically have talent acquisition senior leaders on, usually the most senior leader in an organization, that I uh, listen to what they're experiencing and how they've come to that position and what motivates them, what what keeps them up at night. Um, but I kind of got the idea as I was interacting recently with with a number of people at my clients who are kind of emerging leaders. I thought, you know what? I need some emerging leader voices on the podcast. So that's who I went and found. And actually, uh, I'm going to introduce to you right now Courtney Connor and Julia Adler. Courtney is a talent acquisition advisor with um, Sequoia. We're going to talk a little bit about her background so you know how she came to that. But she's got about four years of experience. Graduated from University of Arizona, UVA, in 2017. Courtney, say hello to our Big Fish listeners. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. (laughs) We're happy to have you. And then we have Julia Wonder Woman. Adler. And uh, many of you know her from um, some of the work that she's done with ATAP and with um, some webinars that she's been a part of. That's where I first came to know Julia and reached out to her afterward because I was so impressed with the work that she had been doing there. So little by little, we've gotten to know each other. And she now works for Wayne Technologies, which is a sourcing outsourcing offer. Mm. That's the way I describe it. I don't know if that's the way that Mike Cohen would describe it, but it's uh, an organization that will do your your sourcing for you on a project basis, which is uh, super cool. 
Um, Julia went to SMU, graduated in 2016. And Julia, welcome to the podcast. Say hello to my listeners. Hello, everyone. Erin, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you and Courtney. You bet. I am excited to have both of you because you are going to be able to give us the insight that frankly, at the point at which you're a talent acquisition leader, you might be sort of missing because it was a while ago when you actually did recruiting and maybe you think you know how things are going for your team members, but maybe you don't really. And so that's my goal here today. So we're going we're gonna to give talent acquisition leaders a little bit of insight into what's happening when they're not looking. <laughs> and actually, let me back up here because I didn't say how I know Courtney. Courtney, can I tell everybody how I know you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, Courtney and my daughter are the same age. They went to high school together. And so I know Courtney from years and years ago. But how excited was I when I found out you became a recruiter? Right. Because at the time that I knew you in high school, I was leading talent acquisition for um, globally for Hewitt Associates and then Aon Hewitt and the RPO there. And I'm pretty sure you had no clue what I did or even what that looked like, right? Yeah, right. So. It's just so interesting when, when people end up, you know, in your profession, in your, you know, functional expertise. And so I really want to know more about how that all happened. So let's go there. Let's, let's talk about how you got into the role that you're currently in. And so we'll, let's get started with you, Courtney. How, how did that all happen? After U of A or maybe during U of A, you somehow landed in your very first recruiting job at Medics. I actually um, got connected, had a good friend of mine who was a year older who started working at Medics right out of school. And um, that's how I got introduced to Medics. And so went through, of course, their interview process and joined with them. So they are, just so to give some context, are a nationwide healthcare staffing organization. So a lot of that outsourcing and external, it sounds like Julia is familiar with that as well, um, was where I was focused. So I worked pretty much throughout the majority of their departments from um, healthcare, more of those clinical folks to administration to more on the financial side and then spent about the majority of my time a little over two years on the technical recruiting. So working with some of those more IT and technical folks more on the consulting side, which is interesting to make that transition. And then just about a month ago, I made the move myself out to Sequoia to transition into more of the internal side of recruiting. So that's where I focus today, um, recruiting for a lot of our client-facing teams, um, and it's been you know great so far. Outstanding. And um, I'm just curious about the Sequoia Consulting Group grabbing you or you finding them. How did that happen? Yeah, so got connected again, a personal relationship. I think that's always the easiest. And as we know, as recruiters, the warmest intro you can probably have. So had a friend of mine who has worked there for years and had always been tickling me a little bit about it, but you know, had mentioned I was maybe open to, to exploring and she got me connected with the right folks. And that's really how I got integrated. So, you know, throughout okay. the interview process, just really could see myself there. Okay. And you majored in business. Did you ever imagine you'd end up in recruiting? How, how did... How yeah. have you seen the connection there? <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. so I actually started um, undecided, as most, I think, a lot of 17-year-olds do um, when they first jump into college, not quite knowing where they wanted. But I think as I continued to go through school, what was really important to me was that I could work with people. I felt like that was where I had a lot of strength and, and felt like I was most motivated. So recruiting essentially fell into my lap a little bit, but now it feels a little more like home. So I, I'm excited to be yeah. in this. 
Outstanding. Okay, great. Julia, a much different background, psych major, like me, actually. And, uh, you know, SMU grad, so um, great school. Did I get that right, by the way? SMU, yes, right? you did get that right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get both universities <laughs> wrong. So, so with Southern Methodist, for those who aren't familiar. And uh, it, it, your background uh, sort of looked like it was heading toward recruiting even before you graduated because you did some apprenticeships, right? Yes. Um, but you really have specialized in the sourcing side of recruiting. So walk us through kind of your evolution since, um, since you were in school. Sure. Um, so when I was in school over the summer, I interned at uh, BizNow here in New York. And I, they were a tiny, tiny company at the time. So I was kind of helping them out with a couple different things, one of which was recruiting. Uh, they were growing pretty rapidly. And so I got a feel for it. I kind of was thrown into it head first and was a little bit intimidated at first. But once I got the hang of things, I realized I really did enjoy it. Um, similar to what Courtney said, interacting with people there. I actually went to intern there to work with graphic design, which I did for them as well. But I was lucky enough to get my hands dirty with some internal recruiting. So um, when I graduated college, my sister actually had a good friend from college who worked at a, a small sourcing agency in Nashville, Tennessee, IQ Talent Partners. Um, they were hiring as well. They were very small at the time, maybe I want to say probably 30 people. And so I was like, you know what, why not? That sounds like something I'd be interested in. I started with IQTP and I fell in love with sourcing. It really felt natural for me. It was kind of combining math and data with uh, the people. Uh, so I really, really loved it. I had a great experience uh, right out of college working for a company I loved. That's great. And you were a boomerang there, right? Because you left and then came back? I was a boomerang, right? yes. <laughs> yeah. So what, what was that about? How did that work? Yeah. So um, to be honest, Nashville was not the city for me. I absolutely loved working at IQ Talent Partners, but I didn't want to live in Nashville any longer. At the time, work from home wasn't uh, very common. And so in order for me to get to a city where I was more comfortable, I decided uh, to make a jump. Realized how much I loved IQ Talent Partners uh, after making that jump and actually reached back out to their leader there, Chris Murdoch, and uh, saw, uh, you know, kind of tested to see if he was comfortable with the idea of remote work. Uh, he was very open to it. They were great about it. And so I rejoined the team there. Okay, interesting. And in the meantime, Beacon Hill, you did some staffing. Did you actually do staffing or were you doing sourcing for them? I was doing staffing for them. So that staffing. was a very okay. different experience for me. Yeah. yeah, got your hands dirty a little bit in mm -hmm. the whole like actually full life cycle candidate management and yes. everything. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, All right. We're going to look for some insights from that for sure. And now Wayne Tech. So t tell us, how did you join Wayne Tech? Mm -hmm. um, I was put actually as well. Uh, personal connection, I was put into contact with Mike through Cindy Davis, who uh, you may know from the industry as well. She's a super awesome TA leader, in my opinion. Um, so she put me in contact with Mike. Uh, Mike and I uh, hit it off right away. He wasn't actually planning on hiring at the time, uh, but uh, we became a team of three at that point. I was the third team member, and uh, we actually just hired our fourth and fifth. 
So outstanding, outstanding. And you know what I love about that is that um, similar to IT, sourcing has been kind of a man's game for most of my experience with uh, building sourcing teams. Mm -hmm. And the minute that I saw you on that ATAP webinar, I was like, okay, here we go. This is like <laughs> the future of sourcing right here. Um, so I really, I'm excited about your role with with uh, Wayne Technologies and um, the work that you're doing there, not only to serve clients, but also to bring in clients, right? Yes. Some of my questions, I have some really nosy questions and they have to do mainly with your view of leadership because each one of you have, you know, four or five years of experience, right? So you're just sort of at that amazing um, threshold of having enough experience to have a point of view about managing and leading people, knowing your function well enough. I'm guessing you have an opportunity to train newer recruiters in some cases and kind of impart on them your knowledge and wisdom and learnings. And I call them battle scars. I have a lot of battle scars, so I try to help other people with them. And um, I just, I would love your perspective. So, so let's, let's jump in. What is it that you think TA leaders do all day? <laughs> that's a good that's question. A, yeah. What, what do you envision? Like, you know, especially I think, Julia, you're externally facing. So if you're interacting with a TA leader to help them with their sourcing, you know, what's your vision of when they hang up the phone, what they, what they go off and do? From my understanding, um, there are a lot of logistics involved, um, whether that's approval, getting approval from certain departments, finance, HR, all those different things, um, and a lot of liaising. And uh, so I know there is quite a bit of that. There is a lot of training, leadership, uh, mentoring, managing as well, working with vendors, uh, figuring out the best tools for your team. And investing in that, again, working with teams to figure out whether or not you can get access to those tools. Um, but yeah. Um, I, Budget. yeah, so <laughs> I have seen um, a bunch of different styles of leadership working at those three different companies. Uh, so yeah. it has been interesting. I think each leader does it a little bit differently. Right, right. Courtney, what would you add to that? Or, or would you say it's your view is different? Yeah, pretty similar. I think maybe the only thing... I can think of that's a little bit in addition to that as well, too, especially here at Sequoia, we're in a really high spike growth phase. So I believe, you know, what I understand my leadership is doing is a lot of strategy as far as what roles are really what we consider critical hires in order to continue that growth and meeting with those market leaders to ensure that we're all on the same page because sometimes things can look different in HR versus how they actually are in that department. So I would say along with all, all the great things that Julia had to add, I think they're probably doing a lot of strategy as well too in those meetings and ensuring that we're focused on the right roles. Yeah, right, right. I I, I would I would agree. I, I'd say you, in my experience, you have... Uh, both have a pretty accurate view. I think uh, what I have seen change over time is that the talent acquisition leader has to become more and more of a tech savvy leader. And if they are not, or they are not inclined to be, that they have to supplement that on their team and have somebody who's responsible for the strategy thing, especially the tech strategy. It's hard to keep up with all the technology that's out there, right? And it used to be that that person could be counted on to know what all of the top technologies are. And it's it's just moving too fast. So 
how do you view TA technology in your roles? And do you also feel like it's hard to keep up or do you feel like you kind of got a handle on what, what to use? I feel like right when I feel like I've got a handle on it, it upgrades and then I am right. back to, to learning more. And and what's nice is I feel like, um, you know, they do provide, I've always been provided with a lot of opportunity for training on IT. I don't feel like I was, I've ever been really in the dark. I just think there's so much that sometimes goes into some of these applicant tracking systems that I'm missing critical functions just because I'm getting the high level overview. I get kind of in my rhythm and then I realize, oh my gosh, I could have had all these other resources <laughs> through the same platform. So I think, you know, there's a mix of feeling really comfortable, but I know in the back of my head, there's probably ways that I could really optimize this platform a bit more. And, yeah. and that's also on me as well, too, to take that initiative to, to look into some of those resources that are offered as well, too. But as you know, calendars can get busy and fill up. So making sure to kind of level set priorities there. Right. And before I bounce over to Julia for that question, do you have a favorite, Courtney, a favorite technology that you think is super useful right now? Yeah. So one that I've used and, and probably just due to familiarity as well, too, um, is Bullhorn. I don't know if that rings any bells as far as an applicant tracking system. I think it does a good job of both taking a candidate through the process, but also ensuring that you're maintaining that relationship with the functionalities of tear sheets and tasks to, to stay on top of those people as well. As Courtney mentioned, you can feel like you're finally you got a hang of everything and then suddenly there's something new and you have to try out something new. From my experience, working at Wayne Technologies kind of forced me into being on top of technologies at all times. Uh, we are working with more than uh, any other company in terms of recruiting tech. And so I have to know a lot about a lot of tech. So I think that it can be really overwhelming when you're not the person who's day-to-day uh, -day working with that technology and it's hard to know what's the best technology to use. I think if I were in that situation, I would be really overwhelmed. But I know, uh, Aaron, that you're, you're a huge TA leader and I know a lot of other TA leaders also take advantage of listening to webinars, going to conferences, learning from those uh, different tools in order to find their best tech. That would be my recommendation. That's 90% of the conference presentations I do and webinars are revolving around technology. Yeah. So it's a great resource. Yeah. And do you have a favorite that you're using right now? I do. I have two favorites, if uh, that's okay. I have mm -hmm. one, I have a new favorite, which is ClickUp, which is not unique to TA, but it. I am um, obsessed with organization. And when you have a lot going on, you have a crazy schedule, this tool really helps you with keeping everything organized uh, and staying on top of your uh, flow. So I really love ClickUp. And then my favorite sourcing tool is SeekOut. Um, as a sourcer who loves to write Boolean and geeks out about it, SeekOut does allow, allow you to have um, mm -hmm. a lot of control there. Yeah. I'm a fan as well. And I especially love the um, Cognito. No, what do they call oh, it? Yeah. It's the Incognito. The sourcing that allows you to to see the background, but not the person. So that it takes it takes away the bias, right? Yes. And ClickUp um, is, I think I've seen an ad that they, that's something like, we guarantee you get a whole day back every week. Am I thinking of the right technology? Like, like literally they're saying they'll save that much time? I would in organization? say okay. that's probably true. Wow. 
it has so many different capabilities. Like Courtney said earlier, like I'm sure there's a ton of things. Mike actually pointed out something this morning that we did not know that we weren't using in ClickUp and that we could definitely be using. So it really has everything you could need there. All right. Well, I am going to take that advice. I saw Courtney, you pulled out a pen to write it down, right? (laughs) (laughs) So we're helping each other today. Try to get on top of it. Yeah. For I sure, for sure. Strength, so I will. Uh-huh. Yeah, like- um, what I am aware of is that leadership is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, of course, because not everybody, there's not that many leadership positions available. So if you wanted to be a leader, you may or may not get there. But when you think about what you think leaders do all day, and then you try that on for size and think, does that fit for me? Am I really interested in doing that kind of work? And I I won't put you on the spot so you answer that question for yourself, although I am kind of interested. But I I guess I want to think about it generationally. So you and your peers, people who do what you do, do you think that leadership is not interesting to many of them because of kind of how they view how that all goes? I think uh, that for a millennial generation, um, there probably is less interest in leadership because I think a lot of folks are noticing that success doesn't necessarily mean leadership in their careers. Yeah. I would say that's even more so from Gen Z. Uh, I'm working with a Gen Z colleague and seeing him work, watching my little brother work as well. Um, I think leadership is not necessarily the goal, which is good because uh, there are still a ton of folks who are interested in leadership. And uh, we won't be at a loss for leaders, I don't think. Uh, But I think people are really starting to understand that success does not necessarily always mean leadership. Yeah. What would you say to that, Courtney? Yeah, I think it depends how you define leadership. If it's going to be that specific management title, you know, that's obviously going to gravitate towards folks genuinely like myself or, or people who are very passionate about development. I feel like that's kind of where they they fall. But I also think we have here a goal even internally over the next, I want to say 10 years to have 2,000 role changes as growth role changes. And that doesn't necessarily mean one step up in a hierarchy, it can mean laterally as well too. If you find yourself, okay, I want to be a subject matter expert in this. This is really where I want to focus and can be a quote unquote leader in that division. It doesn't necessarily mean you have a team under them. So I think as organizations continue to evolve to think not only vertically, but also laterally as far as where they're growing. Yeah, I I love that. It's the concept of the lattice versus versus the ladder, right? Um, So what about that? If you were in a room full of TA leaders and you were advising them on how to develop the people on their team, what, what would you say? Yeah, I think, you know, it all starts with how well do you know your team? How well do you know the people that you're working with and and what they're motivated by and where they see themselves? Because I think to develop a plan across the board, it's that's going to be pretty broad and hard to do. So it's really going to come down to your exact team and also what your company's goals are as far as, you know, are they able to sustain, you know, that amount of growth in the next X amount of years? Or is it going to be more of a a slow moving process. And we got to make sure we got the right people on the bus for that as well, too. So I think it comes down to knowing who they are as far as advice on how to maybe develop those as well, too, is ensuring that there are opportunities, even small, um, for people to get involved. So whether that's maybe someone who's even just a year or two into your organization, 
jumping on to maybe a new hire's orientation conversations and trainings. Let them be able to pitch in a little bit too so they can at least feel it out for size or do some shadowing and ensure that that's where they see themselves as well. Yeah. Okay. So sort of uh, exposure. Is that what I hear you saying? Allow people exposure just to, to see and then take it from there and customization or at least providing options because one size doesn't fit all. Of course. Okay. What would you add to that, Julia? Yeah. Um, so like Courtney said, uh, communication is really, really important for understanding how somebody can grow, what, what makes sense for them. I think that a lot of folks sometimes may not know themselves. Uh, and so I think creating a really healthy communication loop between a manager and an individual contributor is really, really important. Uh, making sure they're comfortable with telling you what they need, what they want, and can look to you for support. I was not comfortable with that at the beginning of my career, and it's something I had to learn to become comfortable with, which I actually didn't until I started with uh, Mike at Wayne Tech, uh, where he really pushed me out of my comfort zone with the way we communicate with one another. He hosted at the beginning once a week meetings where we would talk directly to one another about our start, stop, continue feedback. So that would be start doing this, stop doing this, and continue to do this. Um, so he would actually have me deliver feedback to him as well, so that I was able to feel comfortable asking him for what I needed and exploring uh, different avenues and looking for those leadership opportunities. So that was really, really important for me in order to learn where I could grow as a leader. I think as well, just allowing uh, people to have that experience, like Courtney said, uh, letting them get their hands dirty with something to see if it does make sense for them. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so how long did it take you to get comfortable with giving your boss honest feedback? It sounds like that's whole radical, radical feed. What, what is it? Bridgewater Associates has done it for a long time. It's uh, sort of uh, radical honesty, I think is yes. what they call it, right? Yeah. Is it is it to that level? Like you suck and here's why? Or is it more... <laughs> Just, just to stop, start, continue, and you're a little more gentle about it. I wouldn't say that it's so harsh that we say you suck and this is why. <laughs> Good. Um, Good. <laughs> but it is quite direct. Um, okay. So, wow. for example, I have a dog, um, and one time my feedback was to stop talking to my dog on internal calls. Um, <laughs> so, it was very direct, and I took it seriously. But it took me probably, I want to say three months to get like even a little bit comfortable with the feedback. Once he, once he noticed I was starting to get comfortable with that, we started kind of bumping those conversations out a little bit more to where now we have that conversation once a month. Hmm. Wow. Well, I love that. It's, and that's quite a leadership style to be himself comfortable with whatever you're going to say and exactly. be, be willing to take it on. Try it on for size, see if it fits, you know, that sort of thing. So, wow, I, that's really interesting. So that kind of gets into, you know, maybe my next question. What have you seen in leadership styles that you, has given you an aha? And the aha is typically, ooh, I'm not going to do that if I'm a leader. Or, geez, I'm really going to make sure I do that because that's pretty cool. So what, what have you got on both sides of the scale there? Um, yeah, I have a, an example that came immediately to mind. So I'm, I'm happy to share that as well. So 
in my previous company, Medics, I um, had two kind of direct reports, I would say. Um, I record, reported to what we call our delivery leader, and then we had, of course, our VP. So mostly I met with my delivery leader, Jim, on a pretty weekly basis, and, and we worked really hand in hand. And he was always willing to get in the weeds. You know, what what candidates did you talk to this week? Where, if they don't work for this, what where can we place them elsewhere? Whereas, you know, a lot of times it's easy as a leader just to say, well, you've got, you know, so many people in the mix, sounds like it's going well, um, and kind of gloss over maybe the opportunities where you could have missed and, and can continue to grow. So really enjoyed that, that he was able to, to dig in on the details, even when I'm four years, you know, down the line. Um, and and it's a mix, you know. I like the the kind of detailed feedback, and I'm sure you know he tailored that for other teammates of mine who maybe don't. But I really really enjoyed that, and it, it greatly increased my my success there as well too. So and allowed me even to think proactively. Okay, coming into these conversations, I know he's going to ask about these people, so I need to have some answers, you know, prepared or or my thoughts prepared, and kind of get his feedback there. So really enjoyed that approach from him because I think a lot of times leaders do that in the very beginning with employees, but that can kind of trail off as you, you know, become more senior with your company as it should. You know, there is a level of trust there, but I think also just making sure you're setting them up for as much success as possible is still key, you know, four and a half years down the line. So really enjoyed that. As far as maybe a not really my style, um, Let me think on on that as well, too. I might be able to pop in after Julia goes as well. Nothing immediately comes to mind. Good. Thank you. Good story. And, uh, you know, that whole, I would call it soft accountability, meaning you start to learn what you're going to get asked about. So you get your act together, right? right. And you start <laughs> to be ready for those things. And it after the initial discomfort, it kind of feels good because it's like they actually care about yeah. what you're doing, right? So it's mm-hmm. a sending a, a really good, subtle message about, I'm into what you're doing and I expect you to do it well and we're going to talk about it, right? Right. So that's very, very cool. Good to emulate. Julia, what would you say on either end of the scale for you? Yeah, um, I think that for me, it's kind of the same answer, but, you know, one versus the other. Um, So for me, I think as somebody who's, who's not yet a leader in an organization, per se. I'm at a four-person four company right now, so I have to leave in some ways. Um, For sure. But I think transparency is really, really important. I think if you can be as transparent as possible with um, your organization, it instills trust in your leader. Um, So if you are being really transparent uh, and do allow folks to learn details that maybe don't seem that important, but I think that like you know, that's not that important, but they do care to share with you, uh, does instill that trust. Um, so that is really important. I have experienced both not having that transparency as well as having the transparency and mm-hmm. uh, being able to like really trust the leader and know where their heads at and know what's coming next has definitely helped. 
So transparency takes different forms. Um, I'm thinking of the leader who, for example, wants to share everybody's salary across the organization because, you know, they don't want there to be whispering in the hallways about who got what raise and those types of things. But there's also the kind of transparency, which is, hey, I'm going through a tough time right now. I just want to make sure you know that in case you notice that I'm not really on my game. I'm trying to work it out. And you know, some people can feel un uncomfortable about that level of transparency, especially when specifics start to get mentioned. What What do you think is the most um, important kind of transparency? That's a good question. So I think people can kind of get uncomfortable with both of those areas. I know that some people would prefer their salaries not being public, where some people would much prefer that that's how uh, things were run. Yeah, it's a culture thing. It's a culture really. thing. And I mm -hmm. think that some people will be uncomfortable no matter no matter the decisions you make as a leader. And it's a matter of knowing your employees and um, the culture that you have at your company uh, in terms of that transparency, what makes the most sense, how transparent you should be with all of those different things. At a three, four person company, it's not a huge shock to know one another's salary. Um, right. yeah. <laughs> but, um, I think that the kind of the emotional transparency, as you mentioned, um, was shocking to me when I joined with Mike, but it is really, really helpful so that we are able to support one another, manage anything in order to keep the organization running smoothly. Mm -hmm. That being said, at a larger organization, that again, may not be appropriate. Uh, so it's just understanding what's appropriate for your organization, I think. Right. Right, right. And and I think that the latter, um, you know, I would just add in there, I think when, I mean, we all go through tough times. And so if you have a leader who has themselves been transparent, or at least is open to you sharing when you're having some kind of emotional uh, issue, it's, it's kind of a breath of fresh air, I think. I mean, you know, without it taking up half the day, which is a, a risk, right? Because you can there can be a lot of talking about it, but um, I just I just think look, we're all people, for heaven's sakes, right? We're all people. And so if we think we're robotic and never have anything outside of work that's affecting our work, we're we're dreaming. So um, good. Well, thank you for that clarification because yeah. I think it's, I think, it's, yeah. it's really critical. Mental health is definitely very stigmatized. Um, and I agree. I think it's really important, important to destigmatize that and understand that people will have rock star days and some days they just need uh, to take it easy. Yeah, right. I think that's personally, not to characterize any one generation over another, but I, for me, that's the best thing that has emerged out of the millennial generation. I just, I love that because it definitely was not an option in the early days of my career in the, you know, 80s, 90s, 2000s, you just, you, you had your boundaries around your work and you were professional all day long, even if things were crumbling in the background and uh, you better put on the happy face and it just not, not healthy and not realistic, but it was the way it was. So you, we just, we all dealt. Um, so good. I would say we've, we've all evolved and improved. Big Fish in the Talent Pool podcast is brought to you this month by our buddies at Paradox, makers of the conversational AI assistant, Olivia, that I know you've heard of. And joining me today is Paradox Chief Marketing Officer, Josh Swain. Tell my listeners a little bit more about this Olivia character. I've been a fan for a long time, but not everybody knows about her. So what, how would you describe Olivia and the benefits she brings? 
Yeah, sure. Like, I think the easiest way to think about her is uh, the assistant that we have in our pocket every day. We have Siri, we have Alexa in our homes, and those assistants are, are there to help us get things done, whether it's turn lights on or change the temperature or whatever. Olivia is just an assistant for recruiters and recruiting teams and candidates. So if you think about all the stuff in the recruiting process that nobody really enjoys, you know, whether it's screening resumes or scheduling interviews or, you know, just making sure that candidates are up to speed on what's going on. Olivia can play a really important role there. And she's helping companies like Unilever and CVS Health and McDonald's kind of up and down the the recruiting chain, get that work done. Wow, very cool. Sounds like I need my own Olivia, actually. So how can our listeners learn more? Sure. Yeah, the easiest way is just to go to our website, paradox.ai. But we actually built a a little custom experience for your listeners too. So if anybody wants to try Olivia out and and meet her uh, for themselves, they can text big fish, all one word to 25,000 on their smartphone and Olivia will respond and you can can get a sense of what she can do. All right, Josh, I am so excited for that. And uh, thanks very much for your partnership. And we'll talk to you next week. Of course, Aaron. Thank you. Finish this sentence. We could totally fix recruiting if only fill in the blank. Oh gosh. I know I'm putting you on the spot. It's on the spot, but um, I bet you have an answer. I bet you've thought about it. Uh-huh. Okay. Go, go, Julia. Um, if only our successes weren't so reliant on money. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. What, so say more. What do you mean? So I think that, I mean, I'm sure you know, if you type in recruiters are into Google, it's not a happy, not a happy result <laughs> of selection. Um, and recruiters get that stereotype, I think, somewhat accurately because we are from, you know, if you join an organization right out of college, you're just kind of thrown into it and you either sink or you swim. And so for sake of personal security and feeling uh, stable, some people will make some decisions they would not make otherwise um, when they are relying on that money in order to pay their bills. I think most recruiters and most sourcers, anybody really in the TA space has a good heart and wants to help people. It's all about people. But when you're worried about your own security, um, that's where you may lose that. And that's where that stereotype may play in. Hmm. Yeah. And so how would we remove that? What would be the version of that, that we would be able to be freer to do the right thing all the time? What What do you think? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really complex problem. I know that yeah. some companies really, really can't do that. It does have to kind of be that model. But I think commissions are a huge part of that stress. Uh, People tend to function on a very low base and work off of the commission to support themselves. If commissions played a little bit less of a role, I think, in the industry, then you would see a little bit of a shift in culture there. Yeah. Do you think that's one of the reasons why recruiters tend to bounce between the staffing industry and the corporate recruiting role and then... Oh, yeah. Definitely. Back out to the staffing industry and then back <laughs> into the corporate because, you know, the, I've heard it a million times. It's like, well, I really want to be able to focus. So I want a salary so that I can not have to worry about, you know, the next fill that I'm going to make. And so that's not a bad thing. But also you need productivity when you're in a corporate role, too. So you got to figure out how to drive that. OK, so, wow, that's 
potentially epic. Okay, great <laughs> answer. Great. And no, no pressure, Courtney, but what would be your answer? <laughs> yeah, for, you know, myself, I came from, you know, the staffing outsourcing side and, and recently moved into internal. And a lot of that was, you know, of course, just wanting to, to see talent succeed long term with an organization. But also, I'm not blind to the fact that our compensation structures are different. And one thing that I really liked about the organization that I'm in now is there's kind of a combination approach. So everybody has their base, but then we also can bonus as a group at the end of the year for different metrics. So we have to hit 75 priority hires as a team in order to hit our metrics. And we then there's a bonus at the end of the year. And then there's company-wide bonuses as well. So kind of has a little bit more of a collaboration feel um, with still you can see some of that financial benefit at the end of the year for, you know, coming through for your team. So that's what I really liked about it is that I wasn't just, okay, this is your base. doesn't matter how many roles you fill. If you do, you don't. Whereas here, it's we still have goals. You're still going to be compensated for that as well because what you value is what you pay for. And so I think, you know, that's really important, especially from, you know, a compensation standpoint. And that was one of the reasons I felt good about that decision as well, too, coming from all, most of my experience out of college being a lot of commission. So mm-hmm. um, making that jump was a little bit nerve wracking, but knowing that I could still see some bonus for, you know, the hard work is, is great. So, wow. but yeah, so that's just one so, kind of, so you would say, uh, if, if you know, we could totally fix recruiting if only we had a more collaborative or maybe yeah. shared success model? I think is a that- lot of things could be shifted. And again, my experience is unique to me. Everybody is going to come from different organizations that have different priorities. But I think there could be a lot more instead of a competi- competition structure, more of a collaboration structure mm-hmm. when you're deciding on the roles you're needing to fill, the projects that you're working on. Okay, we have to get 17 help desk people to this hospital, you know, within two months, you know, the team will get this bonus if you hit that, not just, okay, Courtney, you filled this much, you get X, you know, so a little bit more focused on the end goal rather than individual. Oh, I love it. I I love that idea. That's, that's very cool. And what gets measured gets done. What gets paid for gets done. And so it seems to me setting up a compensation structure that really does incent that good answers. Wow. I need to do this more often. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, so, so I'm really going into the um, you know like assessment questions here, but I this I am actually really interested in this. Rank these in order of importance to you, and you can feel free to add to the list. But I think this is pretty much a finite list of things that people work for. Number one, intellectual challenge. Number two, freedom to be creative. Number three, efficiency, best practices, which would be like learning stuff, you know, like the, the right way to do things. Number four, rewards and recognition. Number five, making a difference in the world. How would you rank those? What's, what's number one for you? What's number five for you? Intellectual challenge, freedom to be creative, efficiency and best practices, rewards and recognition, and making a difference in the world. I think, uh, yeah, I know it's tough, right? But, you know, and, and here's where this comes from, just to kind of give you another minute to think about it. When people leave recruiting roles and you do an exit interview and you say, why, why are you leaving? What is it that's, you know, it's usually one of the things on this list. And one size doesn't fit all, but I'm just really always curious about what really is most important. And I'm also really curious about how that evolves over time. 
And so recently, I know we have had more people who are willing to say, hey, I need to make a difference in the world. And so I'm making a change because of, you know, whatever I'm going to allows me to do that. Or I'm just not learning anything anymore. So I need to go somewhere where I can learn efficiency and best practices from other people who are, have done this longer than I have. Or I'm just not intellectually challenged. I, I need to be challenged every day. I don't, you know, I'm just curious. What, where, where do you guys fall on that? I think that's interesting because like, I don't want to rank anything four or five because they're all so important. <laughs> I'm like, don't think that I don't think that's important if I put it as a five. Um, mm-hmm. I think personally, number one, when you said it was making a difference, having that impact and leaving the world a better place, I think is really important to me. So that would probably be number one, a really common reason why people leave is not feeling recognized or rewarded. I don't think it's the most important thing. I'd probably rank it three. Um, I'm struggling to rank, honestly. Um, (laughs) I think... Good. I'm glad I challenged you. Yeah. I think (laughs) learning is huge for me as well. So um, if efficiency... Did you say efficiency and... Yeah. Efficiency and best practices. Yeah. That's definitely really important to me. I'm obsessed with organization. So... I think making a difference, efficiency, rewards, then intellectual challenge, then freedom. Wow. Wow. So you would, so let me reverse it there. You would give up some freedom to create some creative license in order to have the tools and structure and uh, ability to make a difference in the world. I think so, but mostly because I am a creative person. I, um, I was initially in art school. Um, I can find that creativity elsewhere, I think. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But I doesn't think- all have to come from work. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And and maybe the reason I'm parked here for a minute is um, I'm reading Tim Streeter's book, The Contentment Commitment. And uh, he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He led recruiting for Whirlpool. And before that was a very senior global leader in Accenture when I was there. So He's got a really interesting concept around if you if you think that you're able to satisfy every single thing on this list in your career, you're not. So you so in the end, it really does end up getting ranked. It's all just a matter of you know what stage in life you're at and things like that. So I just I thought I'm, I I want to challenge you. So Courtney, what do you think? How how would your rankings end up? Yeah, they're somewhat similar, slightly different. Um, I am not a natural creative person. I did not go to art. So that is my least, but it's also just something overall as a person. I, I don't know if that is something that motivates me as much. So my ranking, at least from what I've got here is um, best practice and efficiency is my number one. Um, one of the things that I always wanted to do is make sure that I was putting forth the best services possible for my candidates and for my teams to to see a really good long-term career with my clients and now Sequoia. So really following best practice is something that's important to me, um, which goes along with making a difference, I think, because then you'll be able to make a, a larger impact the, the more tools you've got and the more work you can do. So I think making a difference would be my second. I also am, I'm one of those people that loves a shout out. I know some people are get embarrassed by that and that's not their thing. But for me, that is important. So I think reward, recognition, I mentioned it before. I do believe, you know, you value what you pay for at the end of the day as well too. And so that's something that should just be kept in mind, especially as we move forward with continuing to hire these younger generations as well too. And as it continues to become competitive, 
that will obviously be a factor. And then intellectual, um, I put fourth, still kind of hard to rank. And then like I mentioned, I'm not the most creative person and that's okay. I'm happy to follow those best practices and do the research and, and I, I'm good with that. <laughs> Yeah. And and isn't that interesting how we, I mean, again, we've said not everybody is cut out of the same cloth. A leader has to recognize that. Mm-hmm. There's a book, The Five Love Languages. I often thought about that as a leader and tried to figure out among the people who were my direct reports, especially, what was their love language. And for those for whom the words of affirmation were the, were the most important, I'd you know, tried to make sure that that was always verbal. It's hard though. It's hard when you have like different personalities on your team and you're trying to motivate everybody. Actually, I have one more question. And then I have a question for both of you sticking with Courtney for a minute. Courtney, you had mentioned on your LinkedIn profile that you've sort of honed this white glove service, this thing that, that you really love providing. Can you talk more about that? What does that really look like? to you. Sure, sure. And I'm sure, you know, we've all seen it, especially in the last year and a half, as far as how the market is just crazy right now. And there's so much talent out there to be connected with. But then also you have to look internally that a lot of people may also be open to new opportunities that they weren't before. So I think being that person that can guide you through a process is going to be what first opens that door for somebody. So making sure that that is the most um, approachable way to go about things. And also being in the job market can be scary for some folks. You know, a lot of individuals haven't interviewed for a role in maybe five, six, seven plus years, and now they're open to it. So being that kind of point of contact for someone and, and providing some guidance and just reasons why they they should consider. Obviously, you want to make sure you're putting people in roles they want to be in and not, you know, forcing anything that's not a fit. But I think as far as the service goes, some of the things I really try to hone in on is in that initial outreach, just understanding that everybody can be going through the worst day and everybody can be having the best day. So trying to play that as nicely as possible. And then in that first conversation, just really understanding what they value, what's important to them. Why do they like where they're currently at? What don't they like? And really digging in on what's going to make make them make a move. And if that's my organization, great. And if that's not, that's okay too. Um, but understanding what's going to be crucial for them and just continuing to have and reiterate those things to them as well. Because sometimes I think it can be overwhelming. We have quite a lengthy process here. And so sometimes you can lose sight of, of your why. So being that kind of consistent champion for your candidates to ensure that they you know, can kind of reflect on on their full process and then just ensuring that they know you're a go-to. You're going to follow up when you say you are. You stick to your promises. That's all you can really do as a recruiter. Sometimes, you know, as you know, people are unpredictable, but, you know, doing your best to to make sure that they know you're ne- they're never in the dark when they are in contact with you. Wow. I love that. And um, I think the word that pops to mind when I hear you describing that is empathy right? You're kind of putting yourself in their shoes and thinking, how would I like to be communicated with at this point? And, you know, shout out to the talent board. I love the research they've done recently talking about what candidates want. And they just want feedback. They just want to know what the status is. They just want to know what the process looks like. Like all that comes with that white glove service. But it's it's not always as easy. It's easy, says easy and does hard. Is what, uh, one <laughs> yep. of my bosses said once. <laughs> so good for you. And maybe one of the keys to that, Julia, you were talking earlier about staying organized. 
I mean, honestly, that's what all the CRMs and all the applicant tracking systems have tried to solve for us as recruiters because they know that balls get dropped if it's up to a human being, right? So any anything you'd add to that? Yeah, definitely. So I agree with Courtney. I think it's really important to have touch points. Feeling in the dark is not a good feeling. When you said that about, you know, keeping in touch, actually following up when you said you would, I was like, oh, I would be lost if I didn't have Jamelius, uh, a tool on your Gmail extension that you can set a follow-up reminder. Um, There's a bunch of uh, functionality with the tool, but that is what I use it for the most because if I did not use it, I would be dropping that ball. Mm -hmm. You can only remember so much. You can only do so much. And so helping yourself out in any way by using technology, using the tools that you have at your disposal so that you can give that white glove service is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I love that because it, the, the, the spirit is willing, but the calendar is weak, right? Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> if you can find a way to help yourself geeking out, Gamilius versus ClickUp, is ClickUp going to replace that for you? Because ClickUp would be the thing that's reminding you of stuff or what? So I use both um, in different ways. I use Jamelius solely in my inbox, um, like Courtney said, with candidates uh, keeping in touch and following up when you said you will. Uh, You can actually set it on when you're sending your email to your candidate, you set a reminder, I'm going to follow up with them in four days. Um, So that allows you to do that where you don't have to leave the program. Um, ClickUp's really great for setting your daily reminders outside of that um, where you're not Uh, functioning in projects and exactly so you're making sure you're staying on top of that so for example um, when I'm working with clients and I do need to have those touch points we have regular touch points set they don't know that now they do but (laughs) um, I have that all scheduled (laughs) exactly I have that all scheduled in my click up All right. And it, at most of all, it sounds like it prevents that waking up in the middle of the night and going, oh, crap, I forgot to call that candidate. That's exactly. a bad feeling. If, if you're a recruiter that cares at all, you really don't want to wake up in the middle of the night. So good for you. Sounds, sounds awesome. Okay. Final question. It all hangs on this. Kidding. Um, where are we going in talent acquisition? Make your prediction. 10 years from now, how will talent acquisition be different than it is today? I think there is a strive to make recruiting and uh, TA a little bit more automated and AI driven. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be more hybrid with AI and automation. I don't think you can ever really fully replace the experience of having somebody take you through the recruitment process. I think that there will be more definition between HR and uh, recruiting and talent acquisition. Hopefully, that's a hope. They are two very different functions. Uh, And I am thinking that there will also be a lot more distinction between separate roles. So I know probably 10 years ago, sourcing was not nearly as well known or understood in the industry. It was thought more as like a stepping stone to Mm -hmm. recruitment as well. So I see a lot of that changing in the way we think about different roles within TEA changing. Yeah. Good. Thank you for that. Uh, that's um, that's really interesting. So you're predicting the hybrid approach, not the full-on automation of everything, mm-hmm. and more of really cre- the creation of a specific discipline or a, a true path for people to become sourcing only uh, leaders. And Is I think, right? yeah, and I think the uh, pandemic kind of catapulted this. Um, 
with that big hiring freeze that we experienced right at the beginning of the pandemic and now this huge rush to hire, I think we are seeing that there is more of a distinction and that we can have people dedicated to different tasks and not necessarily have to run everything running around with their head cut off, you know, (laughs) essentially trying to fill all of these roles on their own. Good. Okay. I like that prediction. Courtney, what would you say? Yeah, a bit similar um, with some slight differences um, just based off of my experience. I do think, um, like you had mentioned, the roles are going to become a lot more defined, especially as people become a lot more specialized. I would love to be more of an expert on the sourcing aspect. I am much more of on the interviewing side and more of that process oriented. So I feel like, you know, there's going to be people like Julia and myself who could partner together really well. And I've done that before. I think what my prediction would be is along with automation, as well as even outsourcing, I've partnered with companies in India who have done a lot of our sourcing before and and set up calls for us. And just from a volume perspective, that has been really effective. So I think we'll see just even more increases on those resources, even internationally, um, as well as here in the States. And then, yeah, I mean, everything with technology is always evolving. So, you know, as we become better, you know, well-versed as recruiters and taking the time to learn that technology, you know, we're only going to close those gaps and make sure we're keeping communication as tight as possible with our candidates. So, I I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, I often talk with TA leaders about the whole Amazon effect, you know, the the fact that our expectations have been uh, lifted so far beyond even what we expected from a retailer five years ago, right? And it has to do with setting our expectations and then exceeding it time after time after time. So there's this huge trust thing. Uh, that we've come to accept. And it doesn't always work out that way, but most of the time it does. And so I I would love to figure out what kind of a recruiting model would follow that Amazon effect, you know, set candidates' expectations, maybe not set them too high, maybe set them at medium or even low, and then exceed it so that you have this huge trust sort of um, flywheel effect. But I mean, Amazon has done that over years and years and years, huge investment. So there's always that budget thing. There's always the, the technology thing. There isn't anything on the market, so you got to create it yourself. That takes time and testing, and it's hard. But um, but I, I'm I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged to hear your predictions because I think it it speaks well of the level of talent that we have coming up in the future. And so I'm going to count on you guys to make this happen. Okay, no pressure. But. <laughs> Maybe a little pressure. I don't know. Um, Well, this has been a true joy. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy days, recruiting candidates and sourcing candidates. And, and thank you for being who you are and being the future of talent acquisition and good luck to both of you. Thanks so much for having us, Erin. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. And we will see you around. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Erin directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.